welcome to a special edition of the Transport Workers Union Air Division podcast. Today, our guest is Gary Peterson. I'm your host, Brian Parker, Strategic Action Coordinator for Local 513. And I've asked Gary to join us today to talk about uh, a document that was put out by American Airlines. You can find this document in JetNet. It's uh, dated March 24th, and the title of it is TWU IEM Negotiations Update. And it's a letter from Kerry Filipovich and David Seymour. And again, it's dated March 24th and can be found on JetNet. So, Gary, I've asked you to join me today. I want to ask some questions specifically about this document that they put out um, and see if you can respond to some of the things the company is saying. That sounds good. Okay, let's start with the bold font where American says, Kerry Filipovich and David Seymour states, for over a year, we have had an industry-leading proposal on the table. Can you respond to that? Sure. I, and my first statement would be industry-leading for who? American Airlines? I mean, the bottom line is that um, there's a lot of doublespeak that comes through this document. And as we go through it, I think you'll find rather quickly that, you know, you can sift through what's being said and what's actually going on. And, and I guess as we go through, you'll find out, at least from a negotiations perspective, what they write and then what actually happens or what the bullet points are aren't really truthful all the way through. I mean, they, they somewhat embellish the truth on the bigger picture stuff. So it's easy to do a bullet point. It's hard to do specific language. But we're going to lay out um, as we go through it, I think, uh, a good picture of where the company or what the company is actually proposing. Okay. So the second one they have in bold, they say for over a year, the industry leading proposal that is on the table would have meant millions of dollars for team members each week if it were in place. Yep. Can, yep, can that's you respond right. to that? Yep, and it still does because our position at the table is there's full retro back to date of uh, the amendable date of the contract, as well as, um, and let's not forget, a while back there was a 4% increase that was given to the rest of the company that our members were not given. You know, the company has this habit of talking about um, things in a rearview mirror and making it sound like we're, from a negotiating standpoint, acceptable to that. No, the, the millions of dollars that are being missed are as a result of the fact that we don't have a contract, and our position is that we have full retro on the table back to the amendable date. So obviously the uh, process of the company, and it's always this way in negotiations with the employer, they try to drag things out for years, try to wear the members down. Absolutely. And that's what's happening here. Yep. Okay, so the next one says, for over a year we have made ourselves available for any negotiations meeting, including the current schedule with the National Mediation Board. Yeah, I love these statements. You know, we have made ourselves available. Well, I can tell you this. David Seymour and Kerry Filipovich haven't stepped into a room and been a part of these negotiations at any point up until the last session that was called uh, at the NMB office. And in that meeting, and, and I don't know how public this is, but they only made themselves available for a couple of hours, and then they had to go. You know, they put a letter out that says they're going to be there for a week. Um, well, that's all BS. They give us a couple of hours to hear what we had to say and packed up their stuff, and they were out the door. So they heard what you had to say. Uh, what was the response? There was no response. There should have been a response, and that's that's the expectation. You know, the, the leadership on our side flew in. They brought their, you know, five folks, David, uh, um, uh, Doug Parker, rather, wasn't there. And the, the five or six people that they had at the table listened to what we had to say. They left the room with the NMB. Our expectation is they were coming back in to negotiate. And when they came back in, they said, yeah, we got to be somewhere else. We got a meeting with the FAA and checked out. And that was the end of the day. So we got three hours. Um, they were, so to speak, you know, uh, had to get an updated or were updated by the um, NMB or they had a little discussion with them. So 
you know, it's frustrating from the standpoint of we were willing to go deep into the night to get a contract done. And the company had three hours. And then I guess they had a dinner date with the more important people than the leadership that represents their 30 some odd thousand employees. So is it fair to say that they, uh, after the meeting in D.C., going into the meeting in Fort Lauderdale, they should be up to speed and know exactly what our position is. They should show up and be prepared to negotiate. Yeah, they're they're not showing up. Um, I can tell you that right now. I got a message yesterday, and I don't know if it's public knowledge, but the, the leadership of the company isn't going to be there. They can't. They got more important things to do than, again, negotiate, show up and negotiate. They've given power back to Jerry Glass and, and whomever's coming to the meeting, but we've seen how that's worked for several years now. They're not serious about getting to the bottom of a deal. They're not serious about putting proposals on the table. They're not serious about um, doing anything other than sound bites and innuendo. And I'll, I'll go into that real quick, Brian. You know, this, this comment Doug Parker made again about, well, we'll give you United, United's contract. Well, then write the proposal up. Give us, give us a proposal in writing that says what that looks like for us to review. And maybe, I, I don't know, but maybe it's something that we would be willing to consider. But, but these are all things that, unfortunately, our membership is, is forced into hearing over and over and over through JetNet because that's where they have to go um, almost on a daily basis. And the reality of it is, is that, we don't know what a United contract would look like, but it sure does sound good if you throw that out there. No different than what we're going to go through as we go through each one of these proposals. But I'd love to see what their proposal looks like, at least on the MR side. And, and again, I'm part of the MR negotiating team, part of the bigger group that sits in the table um, or at the table rather with, you know, fleet and the MR and, and MLS group. But the bottom line here is, is that they have every opportunity to write a proposal and present it not put out sound bites, not tell stories, but write something that says, this is a proposal and here it is from us to, to the union for you to consider or to respond to. And, and I'm getting tired of hearing the company say, we've given a comprehensive proposal. Their comprehensive proposal was given to us way back when. And we countered that comprehensive proposal with the union's articles, so to speak, that has every one of these things on the table. Now, what we thought was a you know, so to speak, they're, they're set here, we're set here, and working, we're working towards a middle. What we have is they're rewriting the rules as they go along, or, re, or replaying the game, and what they're putting out is, well, we didn't like how that game was going, so we want to move on to the next one. And that's not how negotiations work. If you set expectations out there, and we're going to get to that when we get into scope, and I'll, I'll explain that further, but that's part of the problem with negotiating with this team. It's like negotiating with Jello. You know, every time you touch it, it wiggles around. And that, that, that's not how this works. This is supposed to be a solid thing that the membership can see, read, understand, and not have to try and interpret what's coming out of these negotiations. Okay, so you mentioned scope. Let's jump right in. Uh, scope's the most important part of the contract. Uh, it defines what work we own. So the company states, the company's proposal guarantees that American will continue to have more maintenance and fleet service team members than any other carrier. All current team members have unprecedented protection to guarantee a job at your station in your classification as long as you want. What's your response to that statement? I'll break it, in, I'll break it into two parts right off the bat. So first of all, um, we'll continue to have more you know, um, maintenance and fleet service team members than any other carrier. Well, they certainly should because they're the world's largest carrier. And on a aircraft basis, they have, you know, 
several hundred more aircraft than anybody else. So uh, just that statement alone, um, again, this is an embellishment of fact. No kidding, you're going to have more people. It would be ludicrous to say we'd have less than a United who's substantially smaller, or a Delta who has less aircraft or or less of, so to speak, this, this quote-unquote world's largest uh, airline. We're the world's largest. So we should be have the most people, and we should be in the most locations. That's not what's on the table. So again, another play on words. Yeah, and, and again, current protection. I just want to go into this current protection. We've all had some sort of system protection in the past, and we've seen how that's been diluted along the way. The, the guarantees aren't necessarily guarantees. They're, they're feel-goods, and I, li- I don't, don't get me wrong, I like the, the concept and, and what that proposal sounds like, but when it comes down to it, there's always wiggle room for the company to get out, and, and force majeure is a great example of that, and you can go back in the history with uh, what was done at, at Northwest and see how force majeure was manipulated through the courts when there was a, a, a protection in place for, for the workers there at Northwest. So again, don't, don't buy into the words Buy into facts. And real quick, just so everyone understands what force majeure is. Yes. Yeah, so, so this is an act of God clause, so to, and it has some caveats around it. But, um, you know, I'll go back in, in the early 2000s. There was um, SARS that went on. There was bird flu that went on. Those are things that, quote unquote, um, could be used as an act of God. They, they impact the, the company's business, um, and, and they can go into a courtroom, and they can make an argument that— um, is really hard to to defend as a union that they they need to go ahead and and work around these these protections for the workforce and nine eleven unfortunately was was one um, that no doubt where force majeure I would say and as much as it, it it hurts is where it was used properly I mean there was some chaos going on they needed to do that but but when you're talking about SARS or things like that those are blips on the screen and and you know you could talk about um, a hurricane situation or, or those types of things where when that happens, it doesn't say it's limited to a particular station. It, it's wide open at that point. And, and the only protection that this membership has is what we write into the agreement when those things happen. So don't buy into the sound bites of you're going to be, there's no guarantee in here. It doesn't say I'm going to guarantee Brian Parker a job as a crew chief in Dallas for the rest of his career or myself, or anyone else that's on the on the property. When they write that check and they want to cash that check, we can have a different conversation. But that's not what that's... But trust me when I say that is not what is on the table, and nor will that be constructed into their contract proposal. And I think based on their actions and the things they say and do, and the way the operations have been running the past few years, we definitely need that language uh, to protect us. Yeah, and I'll go back to what I said. Our goal in, the, in these negotiations has been write the language, you know, write what it means, and, and for it to mean what it says. And, and the reality of it is, is that's what we've been trying to do throughout the duration of these agreements is so that it's transparent for the membership. We're not, we're, we're not interested in putting out a proposal that isn't full text, that doesn't tell everybody the details that they need to know. And the most insulting part to me is they keep calling us team members. Uh, what team is that? Well... It's their team, and, and again, they want to write the rules. Okay, so moving on, let's talk about uh, the next highlighted point, uh, wages. Well, before we jump off of scope, let me just cover okay. a couple of things. I just kind of individualized. Um, you know, I, and, and again, I want to hit these topics. I think it's important, Brian, and, and we'll certainly move on to that. Okay. Um, but, you know, let's just talk about the base maintenance side. You know, the companies originally, propo- originally proposed a 3,500-person floor in base maintenance, and then they turned around in their next proposal, 
and they eliminated that piece of piece of the argument or, or their in their proposal they eliminated that we we had four we have roughly 4400 people in base they had you know 3500 uh, that that was their floor so we were working with a 900 person difference that's that's at least how negotiations normally work when you come back and you rewrite your counter proposal and you restructure the whole thing to say something completely different that that forces a different conversation to take place because what you thought was 900 people now becomes 4,400 people. And that's where we're at today. We're trying to understand exactly what the company's proposal is and why they jumped off the 3,500. And I can tell you why they jumped off the 3,500 because their goal is to go to as little as possible, the least amount of members as possible. And, and that's, you know, I'll continue down the list. So when you go to line maintenance, right, they want an increased line maintenance of, of, of 5%. Um, overall, over what they're at today. They're bumping against the cap today. They have no room to outsource more line maintenance, but they want a 5% increase. Doesn't sound like a lot, but when you start talking hundreds of thousands of man hours, not knowing exactly how those people in South America, and they're proud of this South America and, and you know, doing their Brazil and their Argentina. And, and I would expect if we were to agree to what's currently on the table, them to build a maintenance base right in Mexico City or just outside Mexico City to do line maintenance. The, the, the catastrophic side of that is it's really, it has a number tied to it, but that number is... Um, in the big scheme of things, uncapped because w- somehow we're going to have to track what these people do. And we're supposed to just trust that they're saying they're working this many man hours without some sort of back check system. Our proposal has two prongs to it. it. It protects the membership on both sides of the equation. Same with our base proposal. Let's just go through, f- and, and let me just go back. Title II is decimated through their proposal. I think we've talked about that before. That hasn't changed. You notice they don't tie them into this conversation, and unfortunately, don't ever talk about stock clerks. Um, and, and the fact of the matter is, so Title II, you know, they're, they're fully at risk. Yeah, there's some pieces in here that they've proposed on GSC, and they get into those niceties. But the reality of it is, is that uh, unless it says what what we need it to say, the membership and, and, and that we have and any future member that might come on the property is at risk. Like I said, stores stores is wide open because it's based around, they, you know, they supply the bodies for aircraft maintenance and, you know, GSE and facilities, so to speak, and, and supplements. So until they know where they're at with us, the company, or where we're at with them, they're really not willing to go down a road of what stores looks like. So if stores thinks there's this protections built in for them, um, unfortunately, I've seen, you know, tens of millions of dollars be, uh, of parts being shipped down to South America already, which we have a grievance on that has to be resolved at some point in the future. And that doesn't go away. Fleet service, it's fairly simple. This, this language around what we currently do as far as scope should be simple. What we, what we have is what we have. And let's talk about the things that we don't have. And, and those things that we don't have can be outside of scope. We have de-icing in Dallas. That's on their sheet. So again, we have that. Why is that an issue? I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure why they would want to pay an outsource vendor to do it when this is the way it's been done. But there's been no discussion from the company to remove that from their side of the table. The five catering cities, which is on the IM side, fairly simple is they went through bankruptcy. They narrowed it down to those five cities and now the company wants to get out of it. Well, normally in, a, in negotiations, you sweeten the deal to get out of something. You don't just go in and say, yeah, we're just going to net net people um, it, it, and you should like that. So we're going to get rid of catering, but we're going to have people do other things. The problem with that is, is that that work goes away and there's no backside protection because you don't own any real work 
fleet service scope work is basically the loading and unloading in their proposal of mainline aircraft. Outside of that, they're wide open on who does what and, and we're, again, back to supposed to trust them versus what is solid contract language today that clearly defines the work scope and what our folks are doing. And then lastly, cargo, you know, it's right here. I mean, this this is the type of stuff that if you know anything about the contracts, you just read it. We're going to, cargo warehouse work remains as it is today in all of our hubs. Well, what are our hubs? I mean, again, they're going to define what the hubs are. Their hubs could be Dallas and Charlotte tomorrow because that's what they want to call their hubs. We want it to say what cities and what work those folks are doing. And again, that's that's contract language. Because if you leave it with a lot of ambiguity, I'm going to tell you what I hear from them all the time. And when I say them, I'm talking the management of this company, uh, the leadership of the company. Show me in the contract where it says you own that. Show me in the contract where it says I can't. Otherwise, it's a management right. And we'll do as we want to do. And unfortunately, the old American Airlines died when this merger came together. And the people that we used to work with that I would give some level of trust or accountability or credibility to um, went out with it. We're, we're being asked to trust people that sell snake oil. And the best one runs this company as CEO. He's a master at a sales pitch and selling snake oil. All you have to do is listen to his words because he never really tells you what the facts are. He just gives you a big picture and leaves it open for you to interpret. And I'll, I'll go back to that, that first question when you asked it. And I just want to go back to that, right? We have an industry-leading proposal on the table. Yeah, again, an industry-leading proposal. He doesn't say for the workforce. He just says an industry-leading proposal. You got to read real clear through these guys how they do things because that's exactly how they run this business. And if you don't dot your I's and cross your T's, you're going to live with a regret for the rest of your career. And before we leave scope, I want to mention the point of uh, attrition and the average age of our members. That's a big point. Yeah, look, the bottom line is is that, you know, the union's goal is to protect the work, the scope that we have. And, and I hear people say it's about dues. This isn't about dues. This is about seniority. This is about being able to maintain your shift, your days off, um, doing the quality work, so to speak, that that's out there. As you get more senior, not being in the, for a fleet person, being in the belly of an aircraft or on midnights as a mechanic, a hump and a tire and doing a tire and brake change. You know, there's a reason why we've structured the organization from a union perspective and negotiated these contracts in the way they are. And the bottom line is their goal at the end of the day is to destroy that. Agreed. Okay, let's move on to wages. So uh, quoting the company, the company's proposal provides the industry's current highest wages. We will ensure wages at date of signing are in line with the industry's highest at that time. We are following the new Southwest tentative agreement. Delta has traditionally announced wage scale increases for their non-union employees, such as maintenance and fleet service employees in April. So we will be watching that as well. Yeah, so again, I'll just walk through um, one of their statements. Again, all you gotta do is read into it. Um, we're following what Southwest Tentative Agreement looks like and Delta has traditional else. They haven't put a wage scale on the table. They haven't said what it, it is and they haven't, they haven't done anything other than what they said right there, told a nice story about what wages might look like, right? It, it, it might look like this, it might look like that. It'd be great to say that, that I trust what they're saying, but I'd like to see what they're saying and, and I'm gonna say certainly the membership needs to know what that means. 
that hasn't been put on the table. I'm just going to go to their bullet points, right? Um, I haven't seen so we haven't seen the highest industry rates in, in the uh, on the table, and they talk about Southwest and the tentative agreement. So if it fails, you're going to back out of that, and then if Southwest gets more, then what? We had clauses in our our proposal that said, you know, each year we would we would compare ourselves. Southwest is new to this equation, and certainly we'll look at that. But we had snap up agreements uh, as far as on the annual wage increase to make sure we remained the top in the industry. I remember Doug Parker recently talking about how he gave 8% to the pilots to snap them up. Well, he could have easily snapped us in line with the IM agreement in a lot of areas and, and done things on the TW side to balance it out, but he chooses not to. He chooses to create conflict internally and thrives on that. Where the pilots went through a binding mediation or I'm sorry, binding arbitration and got to their end result. Uh, we did not have that that same. This is the process we're in. The pilots aren't thrilled with their binding um, arbitration. The flight attendants certainly voted down their binding arbitration agreement and they got stuck with it. But going back to this, we haven't seen these premiums that they're talking about that say they're going to give us the highest overall premiums in the industry. In fact, the last version I saw was far less than what is the best in the industry. So you know, this is all great um, cannon fodder to throw out on a sheet of paper and for people to buy in. Annual increases over the each year of the contract. I can tell you Doug Parker spoke in a town hall and said management and staff is going to get 3% a year every year because that's what he believes the right thing to do, I believe, was his, his statement. Yet that's not their proposal on the table with the union. In fact, it's significantly less. So why not come to the table with the same thing you offered or say in a town hall about everyone else and say, look, that we're going to do 3% for everybody. That's going to be our standard and put that in. That's not their proposal. That's not there. So looking at just the signing bonus piece, this is one of my favorite pieces of, of what they've proposed. You know, what, what our membership needs to understand is they're going to change the way we're paid um, our pay schedule. So we're not going to get a $3,000 bonus, $3, bonus, which is... Uh, 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 definitely less than others have gotten in bonus money, but that's here and over there. They're actually going to take a paycheck from you, put you on pay in arrears, and you're going to get this $3,000 bonus to try and fill that hole. I can tell you from a mechanics perspective, you're going to come up about $1,500 short on your paycheck when that happens. Plus, the way this works out mathematically is the company's going to net just on the M&R agreement about a $7.5 million uh, one-time uh, uh wage that that, that, that they, they get to hold. So what sounds great, a $3,000 bonus, turns into a $7.5 million pocket in money for, for the, the company by doing this because they're not telling the point about losing that um, paycheck. The, 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 the profit sharing program, I mean, look, they talk about Delta up here. They talk about Southwest up here. Both of them have substantially better profit sharing, but that's not where the company wants to go. Um, and then, you know, I'll go into the, the 10 holidays and that type of stuff. You can look at the industry. There's different things in there, and, and I'm not going to get into that because that piece of it is something that obviously everybody could look at differently. I could tell you United's maintenance group has seven weeks of vacation at the top of the scale. Um, that's certainly not the industry's best for when it becomes, you know, when, it, when you're a mechanic. Um, you know, the, the injury on duty. First off, we shouldn't have injuries on duty. The goal should be to have zero injuries. But when we talk about that, United has a different system and they talked about the United um, contract. So those are costs that United bears that according to American, what they're proposing, they'll never bear. And those, those they don't count for that money. Um, but all in all, I mean, when you look at this, this is something that I believe we can we can fight our way through potentially, I, I, I would hope. But 
this is not an industry-leading wage proposal. Wages, to me, aren't your hourly wage rate, right? You can say you got the highest hourly wage rate. Wages are how much do I get paid and how much do I take home, so to speak, uh, at the end of the year on my W-2? How much have I put in my pocket? And when you do that math out, this is lousy. So it's going in one hand and out the other? Yeah, and again, I, you know, this is all something when we get to the end, we're going to have to present to the membership so they have a clear understanding of, you know, so to speak, what the cost of this is or what the cost of that is. Okay, so let's move on to pension. Quoting the company, it says, the company's proposal provides an industry-leading company, 401k contribution, and company match. So, again, um, they, they, they've written in what they want to do. They want to abolish the uh, IM's defined pension plan, and that's that's on the IM side of the house. So I'll, I'll leave that piece kind of off on the side for right now. Um, that doesn't affect the TW membership. But um, replacing it with a 5% contribution and a 4% match, again, let's let's talk about what that looks like. What's the clarity around that? We, we have a piece of paper that tells us what they're offering, but, again, the devil's always in the details. When are we going to get it? How's it going to be paid? Um, you know, those types of things need to be really written into this. And and so when they say it's five and four, you know, our position, you know, is is a little different. The bottom line is um, there's there's room to, to work at this. It, it, this is an area where we could probably get something done if, if they're willing to talk through it. But we're not going to buy into bullet points and then have the membership find out that what we agreed to doesn't have all the details of how it's going to work. And again, uh, with regard to the IM pension plan, I'll just say this, that the company doesn't even know what it wants to do with the IM pension. They put out grandiose statements about, you know, um, they want to get out of the IM pension plan, but they don't know how they want to get out of it. Well, that's not how a multi-employer plan works. You have to approach the the multi-employer trustees and you you have to explain to them what you want to do. And there's a cost to getting out. And that's that's the decision they have to make. But but if we, all things being equal, if we were done with everything else, the company to this point hasn't even said how or what they want to do because they they don't know. So how do you write contract language when when the company sits across from you and says, "Well, I really don't know what I wanted. I don't want to. I want to be in or out or up or down." Um, it doesn't work like that. This is a contract that's binding, and and certainly um, they need to know what it is they're putting on the table. Yeah, it doesn't sound like they're very clear. So let's move on to medical benefits. The, uh, the quote is, the company has proposed a plan that is consistent with employer-provided medical plans and offers terrific coverage. Well, again, I would say that that just the term terrific coverage is what shocks me. Um, so everybody is reminded of, unfortunately, the past. These plans were forced upon us in bankruptcy. These are not plans that were negotiated with the union. These were plans that were made as demands to the union and said, you will take this. That's the way it's going to be. Um, You know, and this was forced on us in bankruptcy. But it's not just, again, it's not just about the medical. It's about what's the cost of medical going to be on an annual basis. And, And again, if you look at the current agreement, what you find is through bankruptcy, they were able to, um, write language into the agreement that says their projected cost next year. Well, that's whatever they say it is. We don't have an audit process. Before, prior to bankruptcy, we had a look back. It was X amount last year. We had an audit process, and that's how much the cost went up. So if it went up, let's just say 15% under the legacy American agreement for bankruptcy. It was the company paid the first 5%, the union members paid the next 5%, and then anything above that 10 was split. 
that was something that, again, that is that was our medical. So for them to say, this is a great medical plan and blah, 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 this was forced on all of us in bankruptcy. And make no mistake, the projections, we have no way to audit that. So if they say we're paying 21% and in reality, we don't, it, it, you know, it costs them less, we have no way to back check that. And I can tell you there were arbitrations under the old language where we were successful or audits that were done where we were successful, we took it back to the company and we said, hey, you made an error here and we were able to get two, three, 4% knocked off in the next year. That used to happen. There's no way for that to happen here. Besides the medical and the only talk on that, what about dental? What about life? What about all the other insurance, quote unquote, or health and welfare benefits that are encapsulated in this part of the contract? You notice they don't talk about any of that stuff because they don't want to, because what they want to do is just say, well, you'll take this and that's the way it is. How about we negotiate what it is? And and maybe in this case, um, we talk with the pilots, we talk with the flight attendants and, and we come up with what's the best benefits for us. Because again, it's, that's that's all speculative, but what they're doing is making a demand on bankruptcy benefits. And that's the most um, infuriating thing here. And I'm not saying the IM plan's better or worse. That's not that's not what I'm trying to get to here. It's, it's demands inside of bankruptcy and saying, well, you should just accept that and have no audit process, no way to fact check. Again, that's the problem I have with it. Okay, let's talk next about retiree medical. The company says, we have proposed a cash out of your accrued sick leave which could be used for retiree medical to bridge to retirement or however you choose. What's your thoughts on that? Well, I know Local 591, Gary Scheibel and, and Mike Bush did a great job of walking the membership through this, and hopefully folks can kind of move from this podcast over to that one. So I'm not going to go into the details greatly. What I can tell you is what they're selling is, is, a, is, is a horrible deal. They're going to pay $10 some odd cents an hour for each hour of sick time. And then the expectation is you're going to go buy um, full cost medical uh, on, on, so to speak, on the company's version of the open exchange. Our proposal is exactly what United has, what Southwest has, um, and that is to have some sort of bridge using your sick time to bridge your medical based on your hours. And again, I think at United, and don't quote me to this, but I think the number's right around 660 hours, gets you that bridge from 60 to 65 that's not what the company's offering here. I, I want to say it was in the neighborhood of 100 and some odd hours a month versus 12 at United and I think 11 at Southwest. So um, I'll let I'll let 591's podcast speak to this because they did a great job of walking the membership through and doing every step that's on JetNet, no different than we're doing here today, Brian. Okay. Uh, that kind of goes through the document, and you explained that pretty well. Just a couple more things, if I could. Um, oftentimes we hear Doug, he'll say uh, – We'll, the, he'll give us Delta United contract today. You know, he'll sign that contract today because in his view, it's a better contract. Explain, you know, uh, what's your take on when he says that? Yeah, I'll go back to the snake oil salesman, right? I'm going to sell you this, but you're going to get that. It's just, it's, it's complete BS. Delta doesn't have a contract. He knows that. So why even put that out there? United has contracts. But their contract is not the same as ours. And what, the, again, I, I always go back to the devils in the details. What does that mean? Are you going to give me United's contract at the size they are or United's contract at the size American is? Um, again, there's protections in United's contract. There's there's Aviva on sick time. There's seven weeks of vacation. There's there's a lot of stuff in the United maintenance agreement that that they definitely aren't offering here that if they want to make that proposal, write it up and let's take a look at it. 
on the fleet side, if they want to make that proposal, we don't have to accept it. We can, we can, again, we've spent a lot of time and I guess time wasted on scope. If it were that simple, why the hell didn't they propose it a long time ago and put it on as a proposal? Hey, this is an option A, this is an option B. Why don't you guys look at both? You know, that, that's the problem I have with it is they just throw stuff out to get our members twisted and get them thinking sideways. The bottom line is their job right now appears to be to divide and conquer this membership by picking and choosing the subject matter that they went out in front of us or our members. And, and that's where the problem lies. Nothing in them should be trusted until we get to an agreement. Don't trust what they're putting out. Don't believe what they're putting out. You know, I'll go back to this this buyout, 105000 for a mechanic. I forget, 60-some thousand for a fleet clerk. Is that correct, Brian? Yes. Okay, so um, they put that out there. They don't talk about who, what, where, when, how many. None of that stuff has ever been proposed to us or told to any of the workforce. So, again, we, we have this tendency to want to trust this management team, and I'm here to tell you, don't trust them. They're, 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 they're not worth that trust. Trust is earned, and it's going to be proven through this agreement whether or not they can be trusted. And thus far, I've seen nothing in it that says they should, that we, any of us, should trust anything that comes out of their mouths. So over and over again, you've talked about proposals, and that hasn't been proposed, and that hasn't been put on the table. What do you say to the members saying, we want to vote now? Well, there, there's nothing to vote on because there is no proposal on the table. If the company wants to start putting proposals on the table and we can agree to them, that's when we'll get to a vote. Um, the bottom line is, is there's, there, there is no proposal on the table on scope because the company has not come back and agreed to something that they're willing to negotiate. It's take it or leave it. And right now we're leaving it. And, and again, that's, that's a process. So we have to work our way through this negotiations process. Unfortunately, it's taking a lot longer than any of us would want. Um, but that's a choice the company makes. And if the company wants to put up or shut up, then let's get down to putting up and shutting up. But when their people talk about that, you know, that they would be at any meeting or, or this or that, and then they don't show up, that's an insult to the membership. I'm there with the team to do our job. And when they show up and say they can't negotiate or these people can't be there, or they're not prepared. We're prepared to negotiate to a conclusion. They're not prepared and they're playing games with this membership. And it's time this membership steps up and shows the company that they're tired of their game being played on them. Well, a lot of people are paying attention. Uh, a lot more people are coming on. They're asking the right questions. And uh, you're right. The leadership of this company right now, and, and you said it best when you said the American Airlines that we knew is dead. So anyway, I appreciate your time today, Gary, uh, for this special edition uh, again, we'll have more podcasts coming soon. Uh, we appreciate everyone. And uh, like Gary said, everyone stay strong and stay united. Thank you.